Praise the Lord. I pray that you accept me as I surrender for your use. Your words were found, and I did eat them. Your word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Please clear distractions. Clear the fatigue. Help me to proclaim your word accurately and concisely. Please give me unction to speak what we need to hear, Father, I pray in Christ's name and all of God's people said. Amen. Amen. You got it, Jim. As I began preparing this message, I remembered that throughout my life, people have said that I have a gift for talking. Some would say it's a gift of gab. And one time, oh, probably about 15 years ago, now that I think back, might be less, but somewhere between 10 and 15 years ago, somebody mentioned that I have a gift of talking. And somebody else said, nah, he needs to learn when to wrap that gift. And I laughed, because I thought it was funny. You know, and everybody else laughed, and it really was meant in jest. But at that particular place, they were akin to speaking for about 15 minutes about the Word of God. They would present a message for about 15 minutes. And they, they said, if you don't strike gold within 15 minutes, quit mining. And I said, well, it takes me hours and hours to mine the Word of God to present a message as accurately as possible to each of you. And I won't cut that down. I refuse. I will allow God to bring His truth forth from His Word through my lips to each of you and all who will be within the sound of my voice by the electronic means that we use. And I thought about this message this morning, and as I did... I thought about how well God has communicated to His people, how much He has communicated to His people, how plentiful our Lord's communication has been through time. And then I thought, I would never want to not hear from our Creator. Never. I don't think anybody would. I don't, I don't believe any of you would, at least. And today we're going to learn that Almighty God promises a famine for His words. He promises that. He promises it. It's not something that we're happy to hear, but He tells us why in the context of His Word. We're going to start with the eighth chapter of the book that we call Amos. If you want to open the Bible for yourself, you'll find it on page 1432. In the Bible's there in your seats, but before we open there, I want us to pray. Dear God, we need you. Heavenly Father, without you in our lives, we are simply lost. Without the sacrifice of your only begotten Son, we are forever lost. Without repentance, the Christ cross is meaningless. I ask, Lord, that you would anoint our eyes with spiritual eye salve, 
that you would use your Holy Spirit to open our spiritual eyes for us to see. Please guide us, Lord. Guide us to submit to your word. Help us, Father. We confess our unworthiness and we confess our loss of your word. Cleanse us, Father. Please help us surrender. And help me, Lord, to speak clearly and concisely that all who receive this message will get what you have for them, including yours truly. I pray this all in Christ's name and all of God's people said. Amos chapter 8, page 1432. Amos chapter 8. I know this young lady has it up on the board there. Fourteen thirty-one. Excuse me. We're just going to read through the chapter because there's only fifteen, I think, verses here. Thus, the Lord God showed me. Behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? So I said, a basket of summer fruit. And the Lord said to me, The end has come upon my people Israel. I will not pass by them any more. In other words, he's not going to ignore their sins. And the songs of the temple shall be wailing in that day, says the Lord God. Many dead bodies everywhere. They shall be thrown out in silence. Won't even be a service for them. Hear this, you who swallow up the needy and make the poor of all the land fall, saying, when will the new moon be passed? That we may sell grain and the Sabbath, that we may trade wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel large, in other words, cheating when it comes to money, falsifying the scales by deceit, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, even sell the bad wheat. There's prophecy there I'm not going to go into, and it can apply to our day, not right at this moment, but it's coming. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their works. Shall the land not tremble for this and everyone mourn who dwells in it? All of it shall swell like the river, heave and subside like the river of Egypt. And it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord God, that I will make the sun go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning, and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like mourning for an only son." And it's end like a bitter day. And there we have an allusion to the sacrifice of Christ. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I, the Lord, will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. In that day, the fair virgins and strong young men shall faint from thirst. Those who swear by the sin of Samaria, who say, as your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. I pray that God would add His blessing to the reading and hearing of His Word. This was directed at Israel. This was directed at the people of God, and uh, it applies directly to them. 
at that time. But it also applies to us. And I'll explain why I believe that. Amos was a true prophet of Almighty God. He spoke the words that God gave him to speak. He didn't presume to speak for God. He didn't have a dream that he interpreted as has coming from God. He literally heard from God. He was a prophet of God. And he actually received God's words, and he shared what he received with the people of God. The days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine, a hunger on the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they'll wander sea to sea, north to all over the place, looking for the Word of God and won't find it. And I thought as I prepared this message, this is a horrible thought. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine hungering for the Word of God and not being able to find it. And yet, right now, much, much of what's called Christendom is hungry for the Word of God. And we have to remember that it's God that promises this famine. And because it com- that promise comes from God, we can see it as a judgment of God. And remember what's written, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17 is where we hear this, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God, the good news? If judgment falls on us first, what's going to become of the others who don't know Him? We find an example of this judgment of God in Two Kings. That book that we call Two Kings is where we learn Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Yehida, the daughter of Adiah, and of Botskath, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and he walked, Josiah, walked in all the ways of his father, David, or David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. He was a righteous man in the sight of God. He followed the example of King David. As we continue reading, we learn that he was about 26 years old when he decided to do a renovation of the temple, because it had fallen into disrepair under Manasseh, who was an apostate king. It was in great disrepair, and and he commissioned, this Josiah commissioned the repairing and renovation of the temple. We could call that a revival of the beauty of the temple, putting it back together, reviving its glory, which shines the glory of God. In verse 8, we learn that the high priest found the book of the law in the house of the Lord during this temple renovation. And the fact that he found it in the temple, that it was lost in the temple, that somehow it had become misplaced, that it had been put away somewhere, it wasn't being proclaimed in the temple, which was the place for it to be proclaimed. 
And as I prepared this message, the Lord, I believe, spoke to my heart and reminded me of this example of when His Word was absent from the gathering, the assemblies of His people. book of the law, that phrase probably refers to the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, or it could mean just Deuteronomy, and there's no clear uh, understanding of what that was. He doesn't clarify it. But we have to remember that it refers to the written record of God's covenant relationship with His people. It's the marriage contract. It's the con- it lays out the details of the contract that God had with His people, and that was cut in blood. It's not something that should be taken lightly or disregarded, cast aside like an old newspaper. And yet here we find in two kings that somehow God's Word had disappeared from the sight of the people. And so because this high priest found it, it became common again for it to be proclaimed. It's something that should have been kept safe and protected from being lost or misplaced, and yet it was lost or misplaced, no doubt under a pile of dust. And the sad reality is that many Bibles, you know, the Bible is the number one best-selling book of all time, and the sad thing is that some people have them everywhere all over their house, and they've got to dust them off once in a while because they're not being read. I can say there was a time in my life when I was guilty of that. I owned the Bible, but I was running from God, and I didn't want to read it. From time to time, I'd pick it up. I still had a hunger for it, and I still owned it. But I want you to think about this, okay? We take great care to protect important documents, true or false. Like like a marriage contract, for example. If we have a marriage certificate, we keep that. Some people frame them and hang them on the wall to remind themselves and their spouses the two become one. We also have passports. We don't just cast them aside somewhere. Those who have passports take good care to make sure they don't get lost or misplaced. There's birth records. Some people have birth certificates, and they keep those in a place where they can find them if they need them for some purpose. There's other documents, lots and lots of documents, maybe the deed to our property, maybe the title to our vehicles. But here in 2 Kings, we learn that Israel had failed in their duty to keep the Word of the Lord. It was lost figuratively in storage somewhere. It was stuffed away someplace. It wasn't necessary to be used anymore because, after all, they found another way. And it happened incrementally. They didn't just one day say, well, we're going to cast this aside and do it our way. It was done incrementally, a little bit by a little bit, little by little by little, until they got to the place where it was stuffed aside and nobody even looked for it anymore. There was a famine for the Word of God in that example. The ones who were empowered by God 
to protect, to keep, to proclaim His Word had abdicated their responsibility. These were the priests. They refused to do what they were commissioned by God to do. They misplaced it. And I asked, how could this happen? How in the world could that book, which is the bestseller in the world, get cast aside somewhere? I'm I'm thinking in terms of modern terms. We have the whole Bible. They had the bits and pieces of it. How could this get misplaced? How could it get lost? And how could it get lost in the very place where it was supposed to be proclaimed? And how could those who were entrusted with its care have become so careless. I really questioned that. These were the guardians of God's Word, and they lost His Word for a time. And it wasn't until the reconstruction of the temple that it was rediscovered. And then the people were able to feed upon the Word of God. This account reveals the biggest threat to the Word of God. The Holy Word of Almighty God has a big threat against it. It's not the enemy who would burn it, because many have not successfully eradicated it. There have been many who have tried to destroy the Bible throughout the centuries and not succeeded. It wasn't unbelievers who would dismiss it or doubt it. Many have done that and continue to do so to this day. I had a guy that I worked with who said that that was just full of fables. It wasn't the truth. He was an unbeliever, but he's since gone on to his eternal rewards, and I suspect if he had not accepted Christ and become a believer on this side of eternity, he believes now. The biggest enemy to the Word of God today is our neglect of it. That's the enemy. The enemy is our neglect of the Word. And I'm not just saying all of you folks. I'm pointing the finger at me. I'm looking in the mirror whenever I'm saying this, folks. Each and every woman or man has a duty to consume the Word of Almighty God and then to pour it out upon the world or regurgitate it, if you will. And in terms of Scripture, I ate your word, and then it was bitter in my stomach, and I couldn't hold it in, and I had to vomit it out. In other words, when we consume the word, it consumes us, and we must bring it back out. Remember what's written in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are all priests to God. I know we're not taught that. I I get it. I I really do, folks. I was raised in in the church tradition that didn't teach that. They taught that there was a royal priesthood that was above all the people, but God's Word says we are the priesthood. And as the priesthood of believers, we have a duty to Almighty God to proclaim His Word, to share His Word, to get His Word into the ears of other people. 
in Christ as part of the living temple. And remember, we are the temple. You are the temple. We are individually and collectively the temple of God. All believers are called priests, and we're to proclaim the praises of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Is there anybody here that hasn't been called out of darkness into the light of Christ? See, we're all called out of darkness, each and every one of us. The priesthood of believers has been neglected by many who call themselves pastors or call themselves ministers or call themselves priests or bishops or whatever title they use, apostles and prophets. I believe they don't want or like the competition. Honestly, folks, there is nothing that I would like more than to see some of you rise up with the power of God to be able to proclaim His Word. I'll call upon you. I have on some of you. I believe God's calling on your heart now. I believe you know that He's got a call on your life, and you've been running from it, just like I did. That's how I know. I know the signs of it. I know what it looks like. You know, the pastors and priests and ministers and bishops and so on and so forth have figuratively choked the Word of God from being proclaimed. Choked it, not completely stopped it. But if you think about a a gasoline engine, you have a choke, and it slows the flow. When you apply the choke, it slows the flow. It just doesn't stop it from running necessarily, but it doesn't run so good. You put the choke on a lawnmower, for example. It helps it to start when it's cold, but once it warms up, it starts sputtering and spitting and doesn't want to run right. And I believe those who are called to build up the priesthood of believers have choked the priesthood of believers. I personally was choked physically one time by a minister of God. Didn't want me proclaiming the Word of God. Sitting on the side steps of the church. I've explained that to you all before. They've literally hidden the Word of God inside of the living temple of Almighty God. And this is why the two kings example was so relevant, I believe. The Lord showed me this very clearly as I was preparing the message. We are the temple. We are the priests. And yet those who are standing like I today in front of you all proclaiming the Word of God or supposed to be proclaiming the Word of God, they have choked off the proclamation of God's Word, and hidden it right within plain sight. Because I would wager to say most of you have one of these, at least one. And if you don't, take the one out of the seat there, we'll get another one to replace it. And I'm serious, folks. I am serious. They've hidden the Word of God inside of the living temple of God, and in this way, God's Word has been lost. We have a duty to learn and teach the Word of God. Our Lord said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, preach the good news, teach them everything that I've taught you. That's what He said. I don't remember when it was. It was a few years ago, but I was teaching all the words of Christ. And somebody got upset with me. Why do you only preach what Jesus said? Well, because that's what He said to do. Nobody else is doing it. 
I haven't heard any. Now, maybe there are. Excuse me. Thank you, Father. You know, maybe somebody is, but I've never heard it. Just the words of Christ. What did he say? You know, we hear this thing. What did Jesus, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Well, I don't know exactly what he'd do, but I know what he said because we have it recorded, at least some part of it, and we can proclaim that, okay? So that's the word. We have a duty to learn and teach the word of God in our assemblies and in our homes. It's written in Psalm 119, 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It's the same now as it was then. We have a responsibility to avoid losing the word of God. We're called to protect it. We're called to preserve it. We're called to proclaim it. Sad to me. In Psalm 119, 101, it's written, I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. You see, they go hand in hand. We keep our feet from evil, and we're keeping the word of God. In Psalm 119, 105, it is written, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. A, A more modern Christian Singer, turn that into a song. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. His word, not my word. I could tell you anything. I could tell you anything and I could convince you that what I'm telling you is true. But I tell you, this is true. And each of you need to get one in your hands and read it. Because God promises to send a famine, a hunger for His Word, and it will not be available. And that tells me that maybe in this age of electronics, that maybe all of the electronic Bibles will be erased, and maybe somebody's going to come around door to door taking these books that we call the Bible and burning them, and maybe we're going to become criminals for having them. Something's not right in the way the world's going. You know, in Canada, they're shutting churches down. Do you know the church is going underground in Canada? In Canada? I I would have never believed that was going to happen in my lifetime, and yet here it is. And now, in order to travel in and out of Canada, they have these um, hotels that they put people up in. They don't call them internment camps, but it's the start. It's actually happening, folks. It's actually happening. Now, if your next-door neighbor started locking people up and stopping them from proclaiming the Word of God, would you think something was wrong? Our next-door neighbor to the north there is doing exactly that. God said He's going to send a famine for His Word, and I think we're just in the beginning of it. Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 40, it's written, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Everlasting covenant, that's the one that we're in. That's the one that we're under, the everlasting covenant. 
that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts and they shall not depart from me. Did you catch that piece that really matters, that he'll put his fear in our hearts? There's also a passage of Scripture which I neglected to put in here. I was thinking of it, and I don't know, maybe my phone rang or something, and I didn't get it in my notes, where the Lord says He's going to put His Word in our hearts. He's going to emblazon His Word in us. It's going to be alive, living. That you can walk into a gathering of believers, any assembly on any given Saturday or Sunday... And you can hear five ways to do this or seven ways to do that, and it has nothing to do with the Word of Almighty God. Platitudes to make you feel good. Full of anything. These buildings are full of anything but the Word of Almighty God. Much of the preaching, at least in this land, and I suspect in others, is void of the Word. Oh, there's, I've listened to sermons where guys will pull out a text and they'll say, will they fall and not rise? Will one turn away and not return? And then that's the only piece of Scripture that you hear. And then you hear all this about what they believe that means or what some guy 500 years ago said it means or some guy that founded their demonic nation said it means. In Christ, as part of the living temple, we have a duty and a responsibility to get into that Word and to get it into us. Sometimes you can find a light duty telling of the Word of God or about it. But many, many large gatherings of people that call themselves Christians... They proclaim self-help messages or social goodness messages. And yeah, the five steps to do this or seven ways to do that, they're popular. But exposition of God's Word in comparison of what God's Word says about God's Word, that's not trendy. That doesn't fly. Instead, proclamations about what the preacher or the teacher, the minister or the priest or Whatever their particular flavor of Christianity says, that's popular. That's preached. It's fashionable. Worse yet, those who teach and preach so often regurgitate those doctrines that were formed over the last 500 years that are completely void of the teachings of Christ. They ignore the basic truth that Christ Himself taught and preached. They don't want to talk about repentance. They don't want to talk about repentance to God. They want to talk about saying a little prayer, bowing their head and raising their hand. But that's not in Scripture. There's nowhere in Scripture. It is not found in Scripture. What is found in Scripture is that Christ Himself came preaching repentance, and He taught His disciples to do the same thing, and they taught others to do the same thing. And somewhere between then and now, that thing, that idea, that, that teaching has been disregarded. It's been lost in the temple.
And I believe it's blasphemy in the ears of our holy Lord God. It's high time to awake out of sleep. And as I was waking up this morning, I thought, you know what, I ought to have an alarm clock I could have Tony put up on the screen be ringing. Awake! Awake, the Scripture says. Put on your strength. And I'll say, Christ's family, put on your beautiful garments, Christ's family. The holy city for the uncircumcised and the unclean shall no longer come to you. Awake! Awake! Put on Christ! In some places, you'll hear about the message of Christ and the cross. Oh, sure. But the Christ they preach is a different Savior. He's the one that's this mamby-pamby Savior. He doesn't call you out of your sin. He lets you stay in it because, after all, He loves you just the way you are. But God's Word says that He hates the workers of iniquity. He says that. Psalm 5.5. Don't take my word for it, please. Look for yourselves. It's written, Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. They've polished up this Christ they made like a doll of precious metal, silver and gold. They've created a Savior in their own image because they want to stay in their sin. They say, He wants you to stay in your sin. The one they call Jesus is void of repentance, but the Messiah of God came preaching repentance. He taught His followers, as I said, to do the same. It's time to revive the preaching and teaching of God's Word, folks. It is actually past time. It's late. But we all need to know God's not letting us out of this place alive. Now, Christ may return and take us out alive. We pray that that will happen, but His Word is not too clear about how that's going to happen. It does show us that there will be great tribulation, such as has never been on the earth before. Both Matthew and Mark report this and say that after that tribulation, then Christ will return and take His church. It's time to dust off the Word of God. It's time to fill this nation and the world with His Word. His Word. His. We all need to examine ourselves. Have we lost the Word of God in the temple of God? The temple? Have we lost the Word of God? Has it gotten dusty in our lives? And I don't want to convict you, folks. I want you to get in line with where God wants you to be. And as I'm bringing these messages, I'm saying, Lord, these people are going to hate me. He says, I made your forehead harder than theirs. He made me hard-headed. So I've got to do what He tells me to do. If we're the temple, as the Scripture relates, and I have to submit to you that we have the Word of God, and we have a duty to proclaim it, a duty to consume it, a duty to have it within us. Not only that, 
the loss of his word is the judgment of God, just as he wrote to Amos, or excuse me, was foretold by Amos. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it's written, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. And there you see that little caveat word, if. If. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious, then desire the pure milk of the Word. Coming to Him as a living stone, rejected indeed by man, this is Christ, speaking of Christ, but chosen by God and precious, and you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, there's that word again, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You, me, all of us, we're being built up as living stones into the temple where God dwells individually and collectively. And the Apostle Paul told Timothy, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, Yahashua, Messiah, his true name, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Preach what? What I feel like preaching? Preach the story about baseball or football or my grandkids? Preach what? Preach the word. Preach the word, he says. Preach the Word. Be ready. In season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. And I'm not going to stretch that one out because I've already covered it many times before in recent months. But convincing people or convicting people, rebuking and exhorting are in an order. The exhortation comes after those other things. We don't like to hear it, but that's the word of the Lord. It's time to stop hiding the word of God in our meeting places. Yes. It's time for all of us, including pastors, to return to the word of God and return it to prominence in our lives. It's time for the word of God to be brought into the light and out of those dark recesses where it has become dusty. Each of us is able to elevate God's Word in our lives and in our pulpits. Each of us. We, the people of God, including the pastors, need to find what Hilkiah found. The true, living Word of Almighty God. And I want you all to pray what is written in, one, in Psalm 119, verse 17. Deal bountifully with thy servant, that I may live and keep thy word. Deal bountifully with thy servant, that I may live and keep thy word. Not my word, not your own word not the words of somebody else who came before all of us, His Word. And, and as I wrap this up, 
I'll remind you that like Israel had failed to protect the Word of God, so too have we done the same. We failed to protect it. Oh, we could deny that because it's not hidden somewhere. We actually have the books in our possession. You've got them in your seats there, some number of them. We haven't failed to protect the Word of God, Pastor. How could you say such a thing? We all have Bibles, and we have extra Bibles we can share with other people. In fact, we support the Gideons, and they give Bibles out to people all the time. We've allowed doctrines of demons to be poured out instead of God's Word. As a result, God's Word has figuratively been lost in His temple. Just as the ones who were empowered by God to protect it and proclaim it then had misplaced it, so have we. Let those ideas sink in for a moment. I'm going to leave you on a positive note, folks. I don't want you leaving out here all bummed out, oh, Pastor really beat us up today. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to encourage you to get into God's Word and allow His Word to get into you. It's not forbidden. It's not outlawed. And somebody said, yet. Yet. Let us be those who revitalize the temple of God. Let us be those who revive its former glory. Let us be among those who proclaim the Word of God instead of hiding it. Let us be those who reconstruct God's temple beginning with ourselves. Let us be those who rediscover the Word of God and read it for ourselves. Let us be those who feed upon the living Word of Almighty God and share it with others. What's the final text I put up there? Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in His name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Let's be those who are revivalists, but not in the sense that we see in the church so much today. There's a great revival coming, I hear. The revival has to be for the Word of Almighty God. We need to bring the Word of God to bear upon us, our lives, our families, and in the assemblies of believers. If we don't, God's going to hold us accountable. Whether we think so or not, whether somebody taught us that or not, whether somebody said, oh, no, 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 in Christ, everything's, no, you don't have to worry about that. That's not what God's Word says. And I point people to the New Testament Scriptures that tell us the exact opposite of what they believe, and they twist it all around, and they say, no, that's not what it means. So, well, you know what, I'm going to stick with what the Word of God says, because I know I can trust that. I can't trust what any man or woman has decided somewhere along the line to proclaim. We need not to hide the Word of God, folks. We need to get into it and get it into us. And I'll keep repeating that because it's so important for us all to comprehend. 
Let's feed on the Word and share it with others, shall we? Well, let's pray. Lord, I pray as it's written in Acts chapter 4 and verse 29, Lord, behold the threatenings as the apostles were being threatened for proclaiming Your Word. They stood up and they begged You to behold their threatenings and grant unto Your servants that with all boldness they may speak Your Word. And so, Father, I pray that for this congregation. The world is threatening the faith of Christ. The world wants us to stop proclaiming Your Word. You, Lord, obviously have sent a hunger. But Your Word isn't gone yet. We still have it. We can still feast upon it. And so, Lord God, I ask that You would put in us that hunger, but not in a negative sense, Lord, where it can't be found, but a hunger that drives us into Your Word, that forms in us, Lord, the doctrines, the true doctrines that are found in Your Word. Use Your Spirit, Lord, as Your Word says, that we need none to teach us but the Holy Spirit, Your Spirit, who will take us through Your Word and show us how Your Word compares to Your Word, much like the Bereans of old. Please, Lord, look down from Your holy and glorious home in the heavens and see what's going on. Have mercy and compassion upon us. Father, please don't hold back. You are our Father. You, You are our Father. Your name is our defender from everlasting. Please, God, help us. Help us not to wander from Your ways. Please warm our hearts and break our wills so that we will worship You in awe. Give us Your fear, Father, as it's written in Your Word the beginning of wisdom. Please look down upon us through the sacrifice of Your only begotten Son for the sake of Your servants. You own us, Father. You bought and paid for us. We belong to You. Thank You for the hunger You place in us for Your Word, and I ask that You would fill us and strengthen us with it each and every day. And all of God's people said, Amen. All right. Now, if, uh, if you all don't mind, we will receive an offering.